G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're back today to talk a little more about one of those exciting issues of our Christian walk. Uh, There's lots of us who will be able to tell our testimony, to be a witness for Christ. And there are others who in some special way have a gift on their life where we'd call them an actual evangelist. Not just someone who shares their faith, but someone who is actively involved in raising up others who are able to share their faith, to be a witness for Christ, and to really take things to a different and new level of raising up other evangelists. Well, back today talking with Andrew Walkington, who is staff evangelist with Open Air Campaigners. These days, they're known as OAC. But you can't talk about OAC without recognising there's a 127-year history. What an incredible heritage there is in an organisation that is all over the world, but it was started here in Australia. The Queensland point person, staff evangelist Andrew Walkington, back with us once again today. Hello, Andrew. Welcome back to 2020. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be back. Andrew, love talking to you about the sorts of things you're doing. And uh, just a short while back, we were talking about the reformation of what's happening with OAC. Uh, You've got a new day. There's a new generation to be reached. And you are a young voice, a young man who is uh, bringing the team together. Uh, Some people are getting very excited about that. And I can't help but suggest that people around the nation are actually getting excited about evangelism again with a number of other groups that have been raised up to do good work. You're trying to do things a little differently. There are some special things about OAC and your role. You're looking, though, to be able to address people on a face-to-face basis. Very much so. Now, this is an important element because some people will think that face-to-face is the way it's been done down through the centuries. And if you lose that face-to-face, something's not quite right. That's one of your primary purposes. Look, I love face-to-face ministry. Uh, Ultimately, when we're sharing the gospel, we're not sharing the gospel with uh, a faceless individual. It's not a robot. It's It's not a loaf of bread. It's a person. And that person has their own story and their own beliefs, their own worldview. And as you chat to that person about Jesus, if you can't communicate the gospel into a world that they understand, to speak about Jesus in terms that that they've grasped, without all of our Christian jargon and theological pre-understandings that we bring to the table, well, they're simply not going to understand the message. And by engaging with someone one-on-one, there is that wonderful opportunity to speak to them and build a relationship with them and communicate in terms that they understand and to check their understanding as you go along as well. So it's a it's a wonderful method of evangelism. And, you know, I don't think we can go past this, but the God that we serve, the God that we worship, is a personal and relational God. Mm-hmm. And so when we think of the evangelism 
and the message of the gospel that we are so uh, enthusiastic to share, that if we're not doing that in a personal and relational way, maybe we're missing something in there. And that's something that's a special dimension to to what you're aiming at. Yeah, look, I, I think it's very true. Um, the message of the gospel is directed to individuals. It's individuals who have each got their own sin struggles. They've each had their own background, their own brokenness. Uh, it's a message that it, it's got the, the bad news, which is that we have offended this God and that we've got our own dark histories and the things that we struggle with. And yet there is this deeply wonderful personal invitation to come and be forgiven because Jesus died on the cross for us. That Jesus, looking down through human history, saw me, saw you, saw each of us, knows everything about us, knows all of our deep, dark sins, and yet the Scripture describes him in love, giving up his life to pay the penalty for my sin. It is a message of God's love towards us. Love is personal. It has to be. Last time we were talking, you were sharing about your own history, and uh, you were the guy at the university who was the contentious atheist, <laughs> yes. always arguing with the Christians. And I remember you telling me last time we were talking that, in actual fact, that sort of contentiousness was actually preparing you for being what you are today because God had in mind that he wasn't going to wait for you to make a decision to be a follower of Christ. He was actually preparing you even in that time in the arguments that you were able to present. So there is a certain sense here, isn't there, that you have to apply your intelligence to how you share your faith. Absolutely. And you're doing that by a relational, loving way. And then you're actually preparing to be able to have the answers that people are looking for. And sometimes people are not welcoming the answers that you bring. Very much. But, I mean, I've even found that when I say to people that I'm a former atheist, that when I say to people that that's the way I used to understand things too, when I share with them the reasons that my perspective changed, it's amazing how many people, that resonates with them. Like, oh, I just assume, I start speaking to them, they assume, oh, I must have always been a Christian, raised in a Christian home. No, actually, I've got a pretty colourful background, and I, I think that actually helps me connect to the average person on the street, and in some ways, maybe also, I feel some people growing up in the church can, not meaning to, but they find themselves a little bit repulsed by some of the things they see in the world, whereas I find, having had that background myself, I'm just less bothered by it. I just That's me from... 18 years ago. And, of course, uh, along with what happens when you are raised in the church is that you develop a very church-oriented language. Uh, sometimes we talk about uh, Christian ease or a Christian jargon that uh, can slip into the conversation and you recognize that there's a detachment that a lot of people have. They've got no idea what that Christian jargon even means. So in some ways, your relational communication ability has to be able to cut through all of that and to actually speak into the life of the person who is uh, who is inquiring. I think it actually, it's not just being brought up in the church. It's any length of time in the church. I've seen people that became Christians and within a very short period of time, they're speaking the language. They're using the terms as we spend our days connecting with churched people and churched communities and taking in ch- Christian media, our language changes very, very rapidly. Within six months of someone being a Christian, 
there's a lot of that language in there. Go several years in, and it's it's like we've just learned a whole new language, and it's now our dominant language. So it's it, it, yet most definitely it's more prominent when someone grows up in the church, but I think it, it's there very quickly, even in someone who becomes a believer later in life. And, you know, we don't want to do away with that language in church because it becomes a little bit like a technical language. And anyone right. who learns any particular skill recognizes that there's a vocabulary that's around that. And we have to learn that to be able to grow and to understand the heritage and to understand where we take things to a new level. But this is where the skill of evangelism is that you're identifying is that in those conversations with people who are not churched, you have to have the right language to be able to communicate because people are very biblically or church illiterate. And if they're not illiterate, they've somehow rather been antagonistic. So you do have to approach people on a different level. Yeah, we can't speak to people uh, with our Christian jargon. So when we speak to people uh, on the street and we use our jargon, they simply do not understand. If I use the term saved, they bring their own understanding of what they think that means or they just draw a complete blank. If we talk about being born again, a very biblical concept, but completely foreign to the person outside of the church. Even the notion of God and who he is and what he's like will be defined by a person's background. If they've grown up as a Hindu, their concept of God is totally different to our Judeo-Christian understanding. If they've grown up in our modern, uh, I guess, media-driven world, their version of God might be the white man, white-bearded man sitting up on a cloud, throwing lightning bolts down from a cloud at anyone who happens to do the wrong thing. So we have to translate these concepts that we use inside of the church, these understandings, these terms, uh, and bring them into language and ways of explaining them that the average person on the street can understand. And I particularly love to do that through analogies. Uh, in my evangelistic method, if you were to shadow me for a, uh, a couple of weeks, you would soon realize that almost every conversation ultimately is the same, that the same half a dozen analogies get used in almost every conversation. I'm a bit of a broken record, but to the person I'm speaking to, it's a completely new analogy they've never heard before. But it helps them understand a key concept of the gospel that otherwise, if I just used the, our theologically driven terms for it, they just simply will not understand. You know what? I think there'll be people listening to us today who could be somewhat relieved to know that if they learn one of those conversations that has those analogies uh, or metaphors, uh, those sorts of things that are common to everyday life, and that's what Jesus did. He talked about the agrarian-type culture in mm -hmm. the first century. And so if you pick up analogies or special metaphors about our 21st century, uh, then people will relate to the sorts of things that you want to share. So just to put you on the spot here, uh, what about, name us an, an analogy that uh, that you find works really well when you're sharing sure. your faith. I think one of the key ideas that we have to convey to people is that God is just. That is, he's a, he's a, he's a fair and holy judge. So the problem is that we think we're all fairly morally good. So when we're confronted with issues of our sin, our, our next, uh, I guess, option is we say, well, maybe God will just forgive me. Maybe he'll just overlook my sins. So to explain that God is just, I'll create an analogy. I'll say, well, let's, let's imagine that someone you love was murdered. Let's imagine horrible scenario. I know that's a horrible thing to think about. But then they catch this murderer. They drag them up in front of a judge. 
what can that what do you want that murderer to receive? What do you want the judge to do? Well, you want that that murderer to be sentenced, maybe life in jail. Maybe there's a part of you that thinks, you know what, the death penalty is actually sounding really good about now. But then to your horror, the judge looks at all the evidence, says, no, I'm absolutely guilty, and then says, do you have anything to say for yourself? And the murderer looks, says, well, yes, yes, your honour, I'm... I, I admit it. I did the wrong thing. I'm truly very sorry. Um, please, please overlook my 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 crime. It's it's a horrible thing. I feel really bad about it. The judge looks, scratches his head. Oh, that's good. You you're very sorry for you. You've, you've you confessed. You can go. At which point you're you're horrified, because that's not justice. It doesn't eliminate the crime of murder simply because this criminal, to use the the jargon from inside of the church has turned around and repented. So I paint a picture of of, of justice. We might say the the murderer stands up and starts listing off all of his good works. Your Honour, I babysat my neighbour's kids. I walked little old ladies across the road. I gave money to charity. I donated blood. I volunteered at the homeless shelter. The judge weighs up all of the 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 the, the good and the bad works. He says, "Oh, look, you've done lots more good than bad. You can go free." Are you okay with that? No, you're not, are you? But this creates an opportunity for you to then talk about the substitutionary death of Christ in our place right? and the fulfillment of what is required in the justice of God. And, uh, I'm just trying to uh, cut things short a little bit here to save a little bit of time, but, but you eventually have an opportunity here to be able to introduce Jesus, our substitute, right. who took our... Punishment upon himself. That's right. And the, and, and the courtroom metaphor ultimately in a lot of what I do reverses and comes back with the person now in the guilty seat with a penalty they can't pay. And the analogy, to a bit of a spoiler on my evangelism, but the, the, the judge steps off the judge's bench and bears the penalty for them, which of course is an analogy to what our God does for us in stepping into human history to bear the consequences for our sins so that we can be forgiven so you use these analogies and they become a way that you can communicate into a 21st century context in the way that people understand so that they have a gospel presentation and in the old expression, the penny drops and people realize that they need salvation the way that Jesus has delivered that and uh, through the cross. Of course, all of those things need explanation, but uh, wonderful to hear that little uh insight from Andrew Walkington. Andrew, time has run out. I know you've got big hopes and dreams for OAC in your neck of the woods because you're in Queensland. There are some other OAC outfits that are functioning around Australia and I know that there's a new day and a new impetus that is upon you and you're looking to add new friends, uh, new people who want to contribute into the OAC context and knowing there's a 127 year history, uh, there's some people who are going to be saying, you know what, it's time for a second look, I'm going to be in touch with you. Mm. Let me give the website for people to, be, to make contact with Andrew Walkington today. It's oac.org.au oac.org.au Andrew Walkington is staff evangelist with Open Air Campaigners he's based in Brisbane if you'd like to make contact oac.org.au Andrew thanks for the update once again today on 2020 thank you very much for having me
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.